Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's March the 23rd, 2022. Um, usually, the Supreme Court hearings are rather depressing and annoying, but I think in the context of Ukraine, they're vaguely amusing and entertaining, and certainly more amusing and entertaining than the shots of war and death that we're seeing. Um, the woman who is hopefully going to be confirmed, Katanji Brown Jackson, is today facing her second day of questions. Um, and in the beginning, there was a pretty interesting um, interaction with her husband, who uh, got emotional during her opening remarks to the Senate. And quoting um, her, she said, speaking of unconditional love, I'd like to introduce you to my husband of 25 years, Dr. Patrick Jackson. I have no doubt that without him by my side from the very beginning of this incredible professional journey, none of this would be possible. And her husband, the, uh, the Patrick Jackson, she mentions, uh, was so touched by this that he started crying. I guess in a sense, he is the ideal husband for the working woman, particularly the distinguished professional working woman like Jackson, who is about to sit on the Supreme Court. We're going to talk about husbands today, but not all as remarkable um, as the husband of um, Katanji Jackson. Uh, my guest today is a novelist. Uh, her name is Chandler Baker. Uh, and she has a best-selling book. It came out last year. It's out in paperback called The Husbands. Uh, Chandler is joining us from her home in Austin, Texas. Uh, Chandler, are all husbands like that man crying when his wife is being confirmed at the Supreme Court? Oh my gosh, uh, that almost made me cry, that picture. So what a segue. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, no. Um, and I, you know, I think she is absolutely right to give so much credit to her husband. Cause I hear this all the time. A lot of women feel like their glass ceiling is not always at work. It's not that they're not being offered promotions or more responsibilities. It's that they feel like their glass ceiling is in fact, the responsibilities in their own home life. And sometimes the fact that they're not sharing them equally with their partner and therefore not being free to take on more in their professional lives. Charlotte, I want to come to the book, but I, I want to talk about your background too. You trained as a lawyer. Do you think your experience in a large law firm and at law school, uh, so to speak, trained you well to write a satirical book about husbands? I definitely don't think I could have written um, any of my my most recent books, Whisper Network or The Husbands, without having been a lawyer first, because I think it's given me that you know insider look into what it is, the particularities of being a working woman today, um, and all of that has has been so vital to bring into my writing. Uh, and, you know, it's also a good training ground for just how to manage your time when you're trying to juggle working a full-time job and kids and writing. I feel like that itself has prepared me well. What's it like uh, having this, uh, this book come out uh, as a paperback? The Husbands came out last year. As I said, it was um, 
Uh, it was acclaimed. Uh, it was a Good Morning America book club pick, which is the dream of many authors. Um, it's got thousands of comments on Amazon. So it's a successful book. Do you think of the paperback as a kind of second child, second coming, or is it a bit boring to come out with paperback? <laughs> it's definitely not boring. I think um, with with the things like Good Morning America that has happened with the husbands or Reese's Book Club happened for my book, The Whisper Network, I've been so excited about it because um, those things allow it to reach so many more people. And particularly for me, it allows us to reach book clubs and Book clubs are a big part of my personal life, and I feel like these may, books are made for book clubs because they do foster a lot of discussion and are sometimes controversial. Uh, so the paperback is just like that for me. It's going to make it more accessible to a lot more people, uh, and it's presenting the opportunity for me to talk to about talk about it to others again. Chandler, it's fiction, the husbands, but of course, behind all good fiction um, is politics, a polemic. What are you trying to say in the husbands without giving away too much of the plot? Sure, I am. You know, I relate to it very strongly. When I was when I was coming up with the idea, I was promoting my first book, The Whisper Network, which was largely about women in the workplace, and so much of what women would talk to me about was that they uh, wanted to know what we could do to help the corporate woman experience, to help women rise up the ladder, because they didn't feel like corporate culture would be better for women until that happened. And then in the same breath, they were saying, again, that it's not that they were you know, not being offered promotions or raises. It was that they were opting out of either the workforce entirely or they were putting themselves on the mommy track, taking uh, jobs with less responsibility. And I related to that so strongly because I had, when after I had my first child, my daughter, I had considered actually asking for a reduction in pay uh, just to do anything I could to sort of alleviate this guilt uh, that I felt for failing a little bit, both at home and at work. So with the husbands, I really wanted to examine that. I wanted to sort of like, ask the question. Um, women are going into the workforce at such strong numbers, 50%, but why haven't we caught up more quickly in terms of the gender roles at home? Why are gender roles at home so sticky? And is that women's problem to fix? Or should men be a more active part of that solution? Chandler, it's interesting that uh, you went to your firm rather than your mate, your husband, the father of your child. Why didn't you go first? Uh, I assume you had a husband at that point when you went to your firm, or you had certainly somebody who was the male figure in in in, in your in your in your family. Um, yes. What do you mean? Why didn't I go to him? Well, why didn't you go to him and say, "Why don't you work harder? This is too much for me." Um, uh, you you make more money so that I can stay at home more and and and, and do what is necessary. I can't cope. Why why go to your firm rather than your mate? Oh, um, <laughs> well, I think it's that one felt more movable than the other. Like I, so you had more chance with the firm than your mate. Oh my god! Not with my mate, but with what I felt like my responsibilities as a young mother was as a mother of young children. I mean, I was breastfeeding at the time. I was still up at night with my children. That wasn't something that I could could push off. And I wanted that time with them. Um, and he certainly was very helpful. But 
it, it just felt untenable because I think a lot of women in my generation, um, we were still raised by stay-at-home moms. So the standard that I often hold myself to as a mother and what looks like a good mother to me is the standard that many of myself and my friends were raised by, which is a stay-at-home mom who was able to do all the volunteering at the school and, um, you know, pack perfect lunches and do all of those things. Uh, and I felt like if I was going to fail more at one thing, I would rather it be my, my job. Now, unfortunately, I, I didn't do either of those things. I did not ask for a reduction in pay. Um, I, I read a book called, uh, I know how she does it. And that convinced me to just stick it out, um, in both arenas as I was, uh, you know, at least until my, my, kids were a little bit farther down the road and I switched to writing full time. Um, but it is, it is really tricky. You wrote a piece, um, in Salon, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, entitled forget leaning in or out. There's a third way for women juggling work, family, and a hectic life. I have to admit, I'm always a bit suspicious of third ways. They don't usually work out in practice. What are what is, though, in your mind, this third way? And what does leaning in or out mean? What are those? I mean, I there was a large movement, of course, with the lean in movement, which was telling women that it was basically our responsibility to be asking for more money, to sit forward at the at the conference table, to speak up. Um, to, to be Cheryl Sandberg, essentially, to, clo to clone <laughs> ourselves or clone yourselves as, as Cheryl. Exactly. And, and I and I don't think that that's a wholly bad message. Um, at the same time, uh, I think it is, again, putting the responsibility on women when there's already a lot of responsibility on women to fix this problem that we did not create alone. Um, and, you know, put it mildly, was, Chandler. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And then there was a whole response to that movement where people were like, I'm not going to lean in, I'm going to lean out because it's just far too overwhelming. You're adding another narrative to my plate. Like, look at all these narratives that women are supposed to subscribe to now. You know, there's like the Pinterest mom narrative. There's the wellness narrative, the beauty well, narrative. What's the Pinterest mom narrative? What does that mean? Oh my gosh. It's where you, you have to have like, um, say you're having party favors for your child's birthday party and you go on Pinterest and you look at all the pictures of inspiration for the perfect party favors for your child. And then you hand make them and they say like, attached to bubbles, thanks for popping by. Or same thing for the Valentines for your kids. It's this kind mm -hmm. of beautifying of motherhood to show that you know, you're on top of it and you're doing it. You have your own Instagram page. Is it sort of equivalent to that in many ways? Um, I, I hope not. Um, I feel like I'm a bit self-deprecating. I talk a lot about, um, saving space for yourself as a woman and, uh, finding the time to pursue creativity if that's something important to you. Uh, and I talk just a lot about how hard and, uh, you know, trying to be funny, but motherhood can be sometimes and especially doing it imperfectly as I so often do. Let's go back to this uh, third way for women that you wrote about in Salon. Is the argument in husbands 
is it for a third way or is that rather is that the wrong way of thinking about your novel i think the solution proposed in the husbands is very extreme it but it's sort of saying okay listen if men don't help us fix this then they can't complain about whatever the solution is. So um, I'm not proposing that we should actually adopt what the women of Dynasty Ranch are doing in order to have it all. Uh, and the women of Dynasty Ranch are the women in, in the husbands. Yes, are the women in this suburban neighborhood that my main character, Nora, goes house hunting in. And um, she gets to know these women that are very, very successful and they have enviably supportive husbands. And unlike her, they don't seem to be hanging on by a thread. Um, and they, they have a scheme that of how they're making their lives work. And it's one that she uncovers as she's, as she's helping with this wrongful death case for one of the, one of the community's residents. Um, and, you know, it could be worth, worth killing for. So there's a bit of a murder, murder mystery at the heart of it. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I'm not proposing a true way, but I do think it is a good thought experiment. Your the headline in the New York Times was uh, to the review last year was "Welcome to the neighborhood." Pay no attention to those men folding laundry. Um, mm -hmm. Are the men folding the laundry in your Austin neighborhood? Should they be doing it more explicitly, more publicly? Do you think? You know, they they are, of course. I think that men have gotten a lot better. All the women in my life, myself included, are strong, outspoken, feminist women, and they're married to these dad 2.0 types that want to do well, um, that truly are trying, that have the best intentions. So why are women still so overwhelmed and why do they feel like they're carrying so much more of the mental load? Because I think why, while a lot of men are getting better at things like hands-on parenting, which is a very in vogue, um, some of the ways that women always have to have their antenna up, that anticipation, when is camp registration due? Like when is school registration due? Have we scheduled you know, time to go see the grandparents? All those kinship relationships still seem to disproportionately fall on women um, who, you know, by the way, are maintaining careers on the same level as men now. So I think it's gotten better. I think there's, I think you can look at households and be like, okay, this guy is cooking and this guy is helping with the dishes and all of those things. But we're, we're still not there yet on the full picture of what it means to run a household. What areas do you think men could improve? What areas would they score a C or a C minus on generally? Where can we, we, and I'm speaking on behalf of my gender, I'm kind of particularly uh, poor yes, do you feel Do you feel attacked by this conversation? Well, I, no, I love it. I love being attacked. Um, I'm a particularly poor husband and father, so um, I, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But uh, where can we improve, Chandler? What you know, areas in particular? Think, I think that every household is truly different. I have talked to so many different women. Um, if you want to know the one thing that I think I hear more than anything I else, do, I definitely do. Carry up the clothes or whatever is left on the foot of the stairs. If there are stuff folded on the bottom of the stairs, women want you to bring it up. <laughs> oh my God. You mean it's designed, it's left there in order for us to bring it up? You know, it's like you're, you're folding laundry, whatever you're doing downstairs, you have some of the kids stuff, you know it needs to go upstairs, but you're not going upstairs right away. Somebody leaves it at the foot of the stairs. Don't just walk by it. 
What happens if you live in a one-story house or an apartment? Well, then do you have stuff piled up on your, you know, on your washer or in your mudroom or wherever your stuff is piled? There you have it. All our male (laughs) audience, no more excuses. When you see that stuff piled up, it's not there accidentally in a haphazard way. It's been been put there by women so that we men can go and... (laughs) Put it wherever else it needs to go. We are speaking with Chandler Baker, the author of The Husbands, another of her hugely acclaimed bestsellers. That's uh, just out in paperback. We're going to take a short break now, Chandler. And afterwards, I want to talk a bit more detail about the book, about Stepford Wives, and about history of feminism, your heroes or your heroines, and, and what we still need to do more broadly uh, in the feminist struggle. So we'll be back in about 60 seconds with Chandler Baker, the author of the husband. Hi everyone, Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, If you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page. You can watch these shows live as well. Um, In terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now, Back to Keenon. We're back with Chandler pa- uh, Baker, the author of The Husbands. I was going to say Chandler Husband, but that would be uh, a very serious Freudian error. Uh, Chandler, the book is in many ways uh, a kind of rewrite or a, a Stepford Wives 2.0. Tell me how your new book, the, Hu- uh, the Husbands, is connected with Stepford Wives, what you were trying to do with this new book. Absolutely. I mean, the Stepford Wives was, of course, a huge source of inspiration. Um, I had not read it when I started writing the book, but of course, I did go back and read it um, as I was sort of revising. I think I'd been really interested in the Stepford scheme for a while because we've usually seen it um, used by sort of an empower class, traditionally empower class, or thought of. Uh, to further subjugate uh, a less empowered class. uh, And in doing that, 
the sort of perpetrators of the Stepford scheme reveal that they're sort of pathetic and weak because that's what they need to do in order to maintain power. Um, and I was really interested in flipping that on his head. I thought, uh, what if we could justify it? What if it's not get out? What if we see, is there a version of this where the reader, where the audience can almost agree that the ends justify the means? Um, so I really wanted to try to make the sort of Stepford perpetrators not completely the villains. I wanted it to be very, very enticing. Um, and I, I think it is in the husbands personally, but it was a fun thing to try to do and to see if it was possible to make that justification. Uh, you wrote that there are an abundance of wives in book titles. Where are the husbands? I think you're absolutely right. Why do you think there are no? It's rare to have a husband in a book title. Is it because um, they're usually written, at least these days, by women? Yeah, but, you know, I think it's, it's interesting that, yes, the books are often written by women and the protagonists are women and... I agree that book titles that sort of hint at a relationship um, are sort of inherently interesting in some ways. So we see a lot of wives in titles. Um, and I just, I think that women are so often defined by their relationship to men. I mean, in that essay, I talked about uh, how I took on my husband. And you mean that critically that because that's quite a you know if a man if a man said that they'd get jumped on I, mean? <laughs> I do mean that I do mean that critically that I think that I love a lot of those books so it's no shots at the actual books themselves and I even love a lot of those titles I think that they're smart titles um, but I do think it's interesting to just think about societally speaking um how we still take on our husband's names and it still feels like we're being acquired by their families in some way. And I did it too. You know, I took on my husband's last name and I am happy with that decision. Uh, but I still think we have to look at it. And, you know, I say like, let's keep all the wives books, but let's, let's find our titles in our books where we're defining men by their relationship to, to women as well. Um, Chandra, as I said, the, the book has been acclaimed, a bestseller, thousands of reviews on Amazon, I'm sure, and everyone's using it for, for, for book reading groups. Is there a big difference? I'm sure you get tons of email and, 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 and comments on your Instagram and other pages on the book. Um, is there, can the, the response uh, be broken down in terms of men and women, or is that a uh, a, a, an oversimplistic way of, of thinking about the response to the book. I would have assumed that it could have been, but I've, I've honestly been so delighted by some of the responses from men. Um, I've had a lot of people email me that sometimes for their book clubs, they decided to do like a co-ed book club and read it with their spouses, which I think is so wonderful. I've had men write me that they were dared to read it by their wife and you know they had great discussions and that there were things that they felt like they were oblivious to but maybe they were really being willfully oblivious to um and just giving some vocabulary around just these issues that you know one of my hopes is that these 
sort of quibbles that we often have in our own marriages, they can feel so personal because they're happening, happening behind closed doors. But um, I, I think the fact that almost everyone I know has them, um, has some friction over division of domestic labor uh, is, is evidence that it's really a systemic problem and it's, it's not something we all invented on our own. There's a reason that we're struggling with this. And I hope that, and I think it has from my responses that I've seen from both men and women, um, it just has made them feel a little bit more seen and less alone in those particular arguments. Chandler, we had um, Claudia Golden on the show a few months ago in December of last year on the gender wage gap. She's one of the world's leading authorities on the difference in pay between men and women. Uh, she has a new book out, Career and Family, Women's Century-Long Journey Towards Equity. Is this wage gap, do you think, one of the key problems in the way in which men are not carrying the laundry upstairs because perhaps they earn 25 or 50% more money for essentially doing the same thing? I think it's absolutely something that contributes to it because uh, I think we saw during the pandemic, I mean, women were leaving the workforce, I think at a rate of four times the rate of men. And it's often because, well, you look at the family's finances and hey, the, the woman is making less and therefore it makes more sense for, for her husband to keep working. And that just becomes sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy or women take themselves out of the workforce during, you know, the, during certain years of their children's lives. Uh, Meg Willitzer wrote a wonderful book called The 10-Year Nap um, about those early 10 years of a child's life and what it does to sort of a mother's career. So I, I think that that's absolutely part of the equation, yes. You mentioned the pandemic, uh, obviously comes up all the time. Uh, nearly since, since, since COVID, there are nearly 2 million fewer women in the labor force, apparently. Um, but of course, the great pandemic didn't, or the great resignation didn't start with the pandemic, as an interesting new Harvard Business Review piece suggests. And it seems as if while U.S. jobs are recovering, women are still left behind in an op-ed in, in the CNN, lots of pieces like this. How has the pandemic, do you think, compounded a lot of the issues that you write about in, in, in Husbands? You know, I think a lot of people's hope was that uh, everyone being home would make women's workload at home um, and their domestic responsibilities more visible to everyone. And I do think it has. I think uh, having their spouses available at home has at least allowed to see like what does 100% of running a household and, and managing a family look like. Um, it makes both partners more available. So I think that that's wonderful. But like you said, I, I am very concerned about the long-term sort of ramifications that are coming from um, women having left the workforce and not fully returned. And if that is going to just be another sort of double down into the stickiness of these gender roles, if women are staying home and covering the, the domestic responsibilities again. Chandler, uh, a few months ago, I had the feminist sort of, I, I, I guess, I wouldn't call her a feminist. I think she thinks of herself as a post-feminist writer. Kyla Schuler on the phone, uh, not on the phone, on the show, offering what we call the counter history to white, I guess, middle class feminism. She has a book out, a new book, The Trouble with White Women, a counter history of feminism. 
I don't want to put words into Kyla's mouth, but my guess is that she might think that works like yours are really focused on upper middle class white women and the stakes are not really important. How would you respond to people who would say, well, you're a wealthy lawyer, you live in a lovely suburb of Austin, whether or not the man carries the the laundry up the stairs is really not a big deal. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I have no argument to that. Like I absolutely have benefited from so much privilege, um, you know, from my early education up through now, uh, we are incredibly fortunate. And I know that many of the struggles that people have felt, especially after the pandemic are truly life and death. I guess I would say that if it's this hard for me and I feel Mm. this overwhelmed, then I think we can magnify that problem for women that are not in as privileged a position tenfold. So um, I can, you know, I try to speak from my experience, try to write from my experience in the world I know, but absolutely, uh, I think it is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and there are, there are so many women in particular that um, are feeling it uh, more acutely. As you said, you're also the author of The Whisper Network with the husbands and a number of young author uh, novels. Do you think you could write about another world of women? Perhaps a, a world of, uh, of lower class, if that's the right word, women, women who work two or three jobs, um, who, who have no male around, no potential husbands. So the issue of the husbands is essentially irrelevant. I mean, there was sort of an upstairs, upstairs, downstairs story in Whisper Network uh, that that covered some of that ground. And I'll just say that it took a lot of like talking to people, um, talking to some women that that were in similar situations to my to one of my my characters in the book. Um, I don't know. I just I, I follow kind of the premise and. Uh, it, w- it would just have to be the right book for me. And then I would have to, a big part of my process is just talking to other women and hearing like what's on their mind. And that's kind of how I find my ideas. So, I, you know, if conversations like that pull me in, in a direction, then I will definitely follow it. Uh, we had Antonio Fraser on the show also uh, earlier this year, the iconic English writer. Uh, she's just written a book about Caroline Norton, um, the case of the married woman, uh, Caroline Norton's fight for justice for married women in, in, in the UK, which essentially gave married women the rights to property. Uh, is there a particular feminist for you who is iconic, who, 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 who captures um, the struggle for women for legal, cultural, professional equality in America or in the world? Um, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg is someone just because of my legal background that uh, I and everyone else looks up yeah, to a lot. <laughs> and she had a good husband, didn't she? Really? Yes. And, you know, I, I mean, I will paraphrase it really badly, but she talks about being asked so often, like, well, how many women on the Supreme Court would be enough? Like, when would that make it fair? How many would be enough? And you know, she says, how about, how about all the seats? How about all of them? Because men have been filling them for, for centuries now, 
and why not all of them? That could be enough. And I think that that's such a smart way of looking at them, that's showing people sort of how to shift their lens and looking at these problems. It's a good choice. I think uh, she would be very proud of the fact that Kachanji Brown-Jackson is hopefully about to be appointed uh, to her seat on the Supreme Court. Finally, um, Chandler, another very distinguished, successful, popular feminist writer, Jeanette Winterson, it's an old friend of mine. She's been on the show a couple of times. She has a new book out called 12 Bytes, which is about artificial intelligence and how it might change the world. Technology, of course, has made women's lives much easier. You talked about laundry. And in the old days, when you physically had to do laundry, it was a quite different enterprise from simply throwing it into the machine and then the dryer and carrying it upstairs. Do you think that new technologies, artificial intelligence in particular, might help liberate women fully in the 21st century? Or is technology the wrong thing to hope for when it comes <laughs> to the equality of the, the real equality of the, the genders of the sexes? Uh, I, I think it's probably the wrong fix to hope for. I mean, I certainly am all for, um, for technology that makes it easier for both genders to fulfill their household responsibilities. I will say that one thing that I think has been tough about technology is that, you know, so many people are living in dual income families uh, when that wasn't the case for many of the people that are still our bosses. Um, and when, and then technology has also made it so that many jobs expect us to be fully available and connected at all times. And I do think that that can create such a log jam for couples that are both working and both trying to run a household. And no wonder we have stress and tension around these issues. I wonder if we can ever get beyond gender with robots, Chandler, whether there'll always be a, a female or male robot uh, in, <laughs> in our age of artificial intelligence or whether robots will finally free us from gender and that the the robot of the future that fold that, that that folds the clothes and carries it upstairs will be <laughs> gender in some way. What do you think? Um, we can hope. Yes, I would hope that we would not be making artificial intelligence that is uh, looking like a female just to do those tasks for sure. Although, again, there may be some dystopian elements there. Maybe for a future book, Chandler uh, Baker <laughs> on uh, on a on a on a post gender AI future. Uh, I always ask Chandler, my guests, for a reading list, um, but you beat me to it with this Goodreads list of uh, of books for exhausted and fed up women. Uh, perhaps you might go through one or two of these books that we're seeing on the screen in terms of further reading on top of of, of your uh, The Husbands, which is just out in paperback. Sure. Well, I mentioned already Meg Wolitzer's The Ten-Year Nap, which she's just such a brilliant feminist writer. Um, on that list was Kate Bear's um, What Kind of Woman, and I'll also plug her newest poetry collection, which is I Hope This Finds You Well, um, which is how she makes poetry out of sort of the uh, rude DMs that she receives on Instagram as a woman and just creates something really beautiful and powerful out of them. Um, and the K-Bear is always a collection that I give to my girlfriends uh, when they're going through something hard or for Christmas because it's just such an easy... Uh, what kind of woman? Mm -hmm, easy book to pass off. Um, Night Bitch by Rachel Loder Yoder is um, about a woman who 
think she's becoming a dog uh, during sort of her uh, early years of motherhood. And I think a lot of women can relate to that feeling of losing your mind a little bit while trying to be an artist or save space for creativity. So uh, that's also a really wonderful one. And what about where do you go, Bernadette? Uh, uh, yes. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Um, I, again, I think this is a great one because it's a woman who is sort of pushing back against um, what it feels like when she feels as if she's giving up her career and her creativity to become sort of a, what she feels like mundane suburban mom. Um, and I think Maria Simple is, uh, is another woman that that just does a really great job um writing interesting interesting fascinating women that are fun to read about yeah i know maria sample and i think there's well as always in these books i don't know you chandler but um i was assume there uh, there is an element of autobiography in these books i'm not sure what element but uh your your old new book, just out in paperback, The Husbands, uh, is a must-read. It's a bestseller, and it's classic Chandler Baker. You're one of the most important voices now in literature. Congratulations, Chandler. Thank you so Final much. Final question. Okay. Chandler Baker, the author of Husbands, well-positioned as anyone to answer this one, Chandler. Uh, who runs the world in March 2022, Chandler Baker? Who's in charge? I think storytellers, creatives, people that are making content, I think we're seeing so much how people's art is influencing how people feel about politics and social issues. Um, and I think it's a really uh, physical, real way that, that people can change the world.